So glad that all of you are here. I'm going to let you be seated after reading one verse of scripture, Matthew chapter six, the end of verse nine and verse 10 says this, our father in heaven, who is our source, may your name or his identity be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth. Everybody say in my world. And y'all quiet already say in my world, like you ready to preach with the preacher as it is in heaven. Father, we give you our hearts. We give you our minds. We give you our opinions. Let me just give you our opinions one more time, Lord. I want to make sure that you have our opinions, Lord. We give you our agendas. We give you our misunderstandings. We ask you now that your word would come alive in our hearing. Anoint us to receive the truth of who you are. And show us your reality. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. And you can be seated. I am so excited to be in the house of God today and just to experience his presence with every one of you. Let me first off say thank you to all of you who were praying for my family this week. My dad had heart surgery uh, toward the end of this past week. And I went out to California to be with him and my mom and my brother and sister. And I just want to say thank you for praying the surgery went off without a hitch. Less than 24 hours later, he was back home wanting to go eat Chinese food and being as ornery as ever, and it was fantastic. So thank you for praying. I, I am so glad that God guided the hands of the surgeons. I don't understand how you can do heart surgery and then like go home within just a few hours. That's weird. All of you smart medical people, maybe you can explain that to me in words that I can understand, but I'm really thankful that that happened because I got to spend some time with my family and it was a good time. So thank you for praying. And I really hope you enjoyed last Sunday. How many of you did not enjoy last Sunday? All right, good answer. How many of you did enjoy last Sunday? Praise God. If you missed it, you can catch up on nolachurch.com are on our YouTube channel. I want to say Buena Asafiwe to all of our nine locations in Kenya. We love you. Pastors John and Mary Waniki are doing an amazing job for God over there representing our NOLA fam and just opening up more churches. In fact, Pastor John is ministering in a whole different region of Kenya this weekend, preaching in about five different locations. So in your prayers, minister, uh, ask God to be with him, that the ministry that he is doing is, is awesome and God is going to do some great things there. Amen. Y'all ready to get into the word of God? We started a series last Sunday called This is the Kingdom, kind of unpacking what it means to be citizens of a kingdom and also to be citizens of a monarchy because as we learn, we're not part of a democracy. You're like, well, I live in North America. Yes, this is where we live, but I'm talking about as believers, we're not part of a spiritual democracy. We are members of a monarchy and there is a king who sits on the throne and, and it is ours not to say, hey, can you change the agenda? No, ours is to simply say, you are already king and then submit ourselves to what our king says. So today is kind of like a mini series kind of shoved into the middle of where we're gonna be over the next couple of months. And today is part one of kingdom culture. Everybody say kingdom culture. And any, and any kingdom that we can find throughout history or even any kingdom that we can find in our world today, there is a culture that goes along with what the monarch has established. There is a culture 
that you not only see in their form of government, but there's also a culture that is, is definitely a part of what you see within the citizens who are part of this kingdom. And King Jesus, as I am definitely going to keep referring to him as, because I want you to understand, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. I want you to understand he's not just some religious figure. He's not someone who phones it in whenever he wants to. He's not someone who dips in and out when life gets tough. He, he is the king who sits on the throne eternally, amen? And he is the great conquering king. He has a culture that he is firmly establishing, for his kingdom and our responsibility is to lean in to understand what is the culture that our king is establishing how do we live this out and over the next three weeks this is what we're going to be doing I'm going to be diving into the sermon on the mount which you can find in in various parts of the gospels but I'm going to be coming from Matthew chapter 5 6 and 7 over the next three weeks and there's a lot that you can learn in this, but today, if you need a title for today, Kingdom Culture Part 1, I'm just simply calling it Attitude. Look at your neighbor and say, Attitude. Is that the culture of our king? Well, we're about to find out. Don't y'all wish y'all had something nice cold to drink? We're going to be unpacking the Sermon on the Mount. And, and for those of you that you, you may have heard bits and pieces of this, and I promise you, as we dive into this, there are going to be things that you've heard. You may not have known exactly what it was a part of, depending on your background, and that's okay. This is undoubtedly the longest sermon that Jesus preached in his earthly ministry. It's, there, there are some theologians that, that believe that it, it actually took place over several months, and it was just put into a collection of, of contiguous verses by the writers. I, I'm not sure I believe that. I, I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong. I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I, I'm old. I'm over 50, but I, I wasn't alive during the first century. Neither were any of these theologians. So like, we kind of take everything they say with a grain of salt. But there is a possibility that this sermon took a few days. I, I think that's probably a little bit more plausible he covers a lot of ground in this. And if you read through Matthew, you see Matthew's response. And then if you read through the book of Luke, you're going to see another part that Matthew doesn't cover. And it's not like there's a contradiction. It's just different people experience different things in a, in, in a setting. And so when Matthew, who was there as one of the disciples is writing, he's writing through the lens of what he experienced. And Luke, when he was getting ready to write his gospel, he wasn't there. So he goes and he interviews people who were there. But everybody had a different perspective because they were hearing it from a different place. Does that make sense? So it's entirely possible that, that this sermon took place over several days. But here's the thing that we will learn about this. And this is my opinion. I'm not telling you all this is the Bible. And I'm not telling you not to read the Bible. But when I read through the Sermon on the Mount, what I believe is that you, if, only, if the only scriptures you had access to were Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I believe in the reading of this, you could discover everything that you need to know about God, everything you need to know about who you are because of God, and everything that it means to be saved. In fact, I believe in these three chapters, they act somewhat as a thumbnail of the entirety of the Word of God. Now, don't use that as an excuse not to read the rest of the Word of God. I know some of you, y'all just like, oh, great, three chapters, check. Don't do that. But he, he, he 
references so much in these three chapters, and there's a lot to learn here. He, he preached this sermon on the side of a hill in, in the region that today is a part of, of northern Israel. And it was on a plateau of Chorazim, and he is gathered there. Probably he had taken his disciples somewhere to either teach them something or do, go do some ministry, and the crowds followed him where he went, and he, he gets to this place, and he, he settles them down, and he begins to teach them. But as we'll see, he brings the disciples, the 12, he brings them even closer than the crowds and begins to unpack some things in here, and it's, it's just some really, really good stuff. But what he's doing is he's teaching not only the 12 disciples and not only the crowd that had gathered, he's teaching every one of us, even throughout the centuries, who call ourselves believers, he's saying, this is how you are a citizen of my kingdom. And maybe 150, 200 years ago, let's be a little bit more real, maybe even 20 years ago, that would not have had as big of an impact. But in a culture of society that elevates the personal opinions and the personal agendas of every person who walks the face of the earth, when a God of all gods says there is an absolute way to do something, everything in our humanity goes, I don't want to do that. You're like, well, not me. Well, you're just acting safe because you're in the church. But on, on Monday... When, when the rubber starts meeting the road, you're going to be like, oh, I'm not sure I care for this too much. But, but what I want to do is I want to remove some of the, the layers of misunderstanding. And I, I want to show you and I'm going to, I want to break this sermon down into three bite-sized chunks. So today I'm actually preaching through the entirety of Matthew chapter 5. I'm not going to cover literally everything because I'm giving you some homework assignments. Everybody got your notepad out or your phone? You're going to take some notes. Here's your assignment this week. Read Matthew chapter 5. But don't just skim it, like read it, study it. In Psalms chapter one, it says that the person who is a righteous person meditates on the law of the Lord every day. Meditate doesn't mean go, um, that's not meditation. That, that's mysticism. That's weird. You're not supposed to bend your body in those shapes. But meditation in the Bible is the same word. The Hebrew word for meditation is the same word that we read that refers to the way that a cow or a sheep eats food because these two animals have multiple layers in their stomach. They chew on something and they swallow it to get the nutrients. Later on in the day, they bring it back up, chew on it a little bit more, get some more nutrients, swallow it down. A little bit later, they bring it back up. Like That's gross. But that's what we are commanded to do. You need to meditate on the word of God. Just a casual reading is not going to be enough. You're going to need to chew on it a little bit. You're going to need to say, okay, verse one was tough. Let me, let me chew on that a little bit. And then you get down to like verse four, like, whoa, that answered everything that I was looking for in my life. Let me just stay there for a little bit. And by the way, that's perfectly okay. Spend some time digging through this. That's your homework assignment, Matthew chapter 5. All the people that weren't here, make sure that they know Matthew chapter 5 because next week we're going to do Matthew chapter 6. It's not going to make sense without Matthew chapter 5. Right? Don't you hate when you step into a conversation halfway through and you're like, well, let me tell you something. Like That's not even what we're talking about. Like My, my dad had surgery. I mentioned that. And my dad is like the, the most prim and proper southern gentleman you've ever met and he lives out on the west coast it's just it's already awkward for everyone 
But he's, he's like prim and proper. Like I, I told them before church, like I, I, I did not even hear my dad say the word pregnant until I was like 14. That's how proper he is because you, you don't say that. And I'm like, that, that's my dad. And like he was high as a kite after the surgery. And high dad is funny. I'm just telling you, it was stinking funny. He was like saying all sorts of things, things I can't mention from the pulpit. Like some of y'all thought I was going, and I'm not going to say them, but like it was stinking funny. But we're in, we're in the middle of conversations and his hearing aid wasn't turned all the way up and he was only getting snippets and he'd just jump in in the middle like, dad, that don't make any sense. I don't care. Chicken, you know, just like you. I don't want you to jump in the next week thinking that you've got everything because like there's layers you have to have, right? Y'all with me? I'm like, man, he's laying a lot of foundation. Yeah, I want to make sure you're ready for this because we're about to break off a chunk and it's, I just got to make sure y'all with me. I'm kind of feeling out, saying who's going to go with me today? And Miss Sue told me I only had 10 minutes to preach today because it's next step Sunday and she wants to get home to watch the game. So I'm just kidding, Miss Sue. You knew I was going to come for you on that one. But like, we're going to do this quick. But I, but I want you to get this. Jesus breaks down in bite-sized chunks what it means to be a citizen. He talks about the attitude of a citizen. Next week, we're going to be learning about the response of a citizen. And then the week after that, we're going to be looking at what it, what it means to experience the result of a citizen. So this is what we're going to be doing in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's, let's do this real quick. Go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to lay some foundation, and then we're going to get into this. And I'm going to give you some stuff that you can take home. And be, be ready to follow along. If you're like, where are we going to go in the Bible? Just We're going to stay in Matthew 5 today. So just if you have a Bible or a Bible app, just have it open there. I'm in the New English translation. It doesn't really matter which one that you're reading. But if it looks different, that's probably why. Here's what he says. At the beginning of Matthew 5, when he, meaning Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. The people that he had an already entrusted responsibility to. But there's something even more that I want you to understand there. These are the people that had a desire to learn from him. He sat down and then the people who wanted to learn, his disciples came to him and then he began to teach them. There are three things that we see in this one and a half verses of scripture that are extremely powerful. First off, we see the need that existed in the day. The crowd was here. There was a definite need. These people were not just walking around the, the Hebrew countryside for the sake of exercise. They were walking around because there was something that this Hebrew rabbi from Nazareth was saying and there was something that he was doing that was meeting a need and it was actually creating a desire in them because they wanted to know something more and the teacher, the one who was holding the truth, recognized the need and went to a place where he could begin to meet the need. He didn't just randomly start meeting needs. He got to a strategic place to make it easier for the ones who had need to receive. We can learn a lot from this. But then there's something else. There, there was also a strategy. Why did he go to the side of a mountain? Like when, when we... Like I grew up in Sunday school. We had the flannel graph lessons and like the overhead projector. And anytime you would see this, it was like this wide open metal with the, with the daisies and the wildflowers. 
and, and the really smiling faces all gathered around like, you know, I'm pretty sure that's not how it was. Why did he go up on the side of the mountain? Have you ever wondered why Jesus spent so much time teaching out of a boat? All of this was strategic. Because when you go out onto water, water becomes a natural amplifier. They would gather on the shore. He would back off and he would use the water to amplify his voice because they didn't have PA systems back in the day. He thought thought it through. He wasn't just throwing things out there. Went up on the side of a mountain so his voice would carry further. There was a strategy, intentionality. I want you to catch this. It's not random what he's doing. It's very, 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 very intentional. The God who spoke things into order, reached into the chaos that was absent of him, reaches into the chaos and speaks divine order and says, let there be order. And in this moment, order begins. This is the same God who told Noah, this is how long I want it to take you to build an ark. By the way, use this wood, put it together like this, bring these animals onto the The God who told them what kind of tent pegs to build when they were building the tabernacle. The God who is so almost obsessed with order and details thought through how can I get my message to the need the best way how dare we think we can just throw it up against the wall and see what sticks oh it doesn't matter really just as long as it's getting out there that's lazy And by the way, at the same time, don't blame your lack of planning on the Holy Spirit. We're just going to let the Spirit move. No, that's code for you didn't plan. Don't blame it on God. God's just going to, God ain't going to move. God moves in order, right? Let things be done decently and in order. He ain't asking us to be freakazoids. We're peculiar, but we're not freaks, right? Let things be done decently and in order. But then I want you to see the last thing that that we notice right here at this part is the posture of the ones who were there to learn. He sat down. They drew close. He sits down in a strategic place. And they're like, hey, he's about to say something. I'm going to see what he's going to say. What is your posture when the word of God begins to go forth. Have you ever thought about it? We can learn a lot about the attitude. And what what we're going to see over the next few verses is the attitude of a citizen of his kingdom. And again, I I know that this is going to bump 99% of us because we have our preconceived notions. This is my religious background. This is how I was trained. This is how I was taught. This is what I believe. It doesn't matter that belief is something that is supposed to be ever-expanding. In this moment, we think, well, I read this one time, therefore I know everything. No. Like, the, the ancient Hebrews referred to the word of God similar to the way that Disney refers to Shrek. Like, he's an onion. There's layers. The, the more layers you peel back, the more that you learn about him. Why, why is God layered? Because if you get everything about God in the first, in the first in interaction with him, is he God? If you suddenly know everything the day that you give your life to Jesus, I know everything there is to know. Is that God? 
then why do we hold on to misunderstanding and bad belief for so long? It's because we're scared to take that next step. But we need to have the posture of the disciples. It's time to get a little bit closer to the one who is speaking truth because there's something that I may not have understood. I may have had a belief that was good for that moment. Now God's taken me to a new place. Amen. My mind goes back to Isaiah because Pastor Rachel's back from their vacation and, you know, she loves her some Isaiah. But my mind goes to Isaiah. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you even recognize it? Or do we just expect God to do the same thing over and over and over? All right, so I don't want to make any enemies this morning. I want everyone to love me and just like celebrate me. As, and I'm kidding, I don't. But let's dive into this. There, there, there are seven things that we see in this chapter. I'm going to spend the bulk of my time on the first thing and then I'm going to hop through the others because the others don't make sense without the first one. Does that make sense? And if you, if you don't have a good grasp on the first nine verses of this sermon, the rest of it is not going to mean anything. So I'm, I'm going to spend the bulk of my time here. We're going to touch this. And, and let's look at it. He, he talks about approval. Everybody say approval. When we read the word blessed in the New Testament, we think because whether we agree or not, we've kind of bought into a little bit of prosperity doctrine that being saved means I'm going to have stuff. Even if we don't really believe it, we kind of want that to be true. Like, I love Jesus. Why am I hurting? I love Jesus. Where's my Bentley? You know, that, that's what we think. Like, like, I love Jesus. And you, like, no, like, blessed doesn't mean stuff in the Bible. Blessed means God approved. And the first thing about the attitude of a citizen of God's kingdom, the kingdom of King Jesus, is there is an approval that comes to the citizenry. Membership has its privileges. It doesn't mean that you're better than anyone else. It just means that you're better than yourself. But there's a God approval that comes with this. And I want, I want to take some time and I want to go through each one of these, starting with verse 3, going all the way down to verse 11. Here's what it says in verse 3. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, the poor in spirit are God approved. Why? For the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Now, throughout these next nine verses, I want you to notice the way that the tenses go from present to future. Because that's not accidental. It's very, very, very important that we get this. You're God approved when you are poor in spirit. Now, a lot of people use this to teach spiritual poverty as being the way that we should live. They preach that a believer should never have anything. They should always be struggling from week to week, paycheck to paycheck, because that is the opposite. It is the reaction to prosperity theology. That's not true any more than prosperity theology is true. God doesn't care if you have stuff or don't have stuff. He's still God. You're still missing stuff when you have all the stuff that you think you need, amen? Because, right, so what does this mean? Is, is poor in spirit literally talking about poverty? It is talking about poverty, but not poverty in the natural. It's talking about an unsatiable want for God himself. In other words, you are God-approved 
when there is a hole in your spirit that can only be filled with God and everything that you do from the morning until night is try to get more God into that place. I recognize that without the divine, I am nothing. It doesn't matter what I know, what I've accomplished, or what I have. I am nothing without the Almighty. I am nothing without his breath moving in my life. And notice this, when you are in this position, the kingdom of King Jesus belongs here now to you. Not will belong. This is not talking about the world to come. This is talking about in your here. And now does anybody need the kingdom of God to be present in the hell that you live in? Is there a desire that burns in you for more of God? Is there a desire that says, I can't even get through the day without touching the throne of Jesus? Let's go to verse four. He says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, future. You're God approved when you mourn. God wants me to be happy. Prove it. Good luck. Why? Because happiness is a choice. It's not a state of reality. God is not concerned about your happiness. He is concerned about your holiness. God wants you to be holy. He doesn't really care if you're happy or not. That's, that's kind of a you problem. Joy is his. Happiness is yours. Joy doesn't come from your situation. Joy comes from the fact that you have received free access to the eternity, to the throne room. Joy is the joy of your salvation. Happiness is your response to your circumstances. Does that make sense? So guess what? Just like he said, it rains on the just and the unjust in the exact same way. You're going to go through things that challenge you. You're going to go through things that make you sad. It does not matter how much you love God. You are going to go through something that makes you mourn. But in the moment that a citizen of the kingdom of King Jesus is in that position of mourning, you have to remember, I am hurting right now, but the God of all gods is in this situation with me. And while I'm not comforted now, I will be comforted. So I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. I'm not going to encourage myself in my ability to do anything. I'm not going to encourage myself with pop culture. I'm going to encourage myself with who my God is. I'm hurting right now. I'm in a sad moment, but baby, this is not who I am. If I get knocked down, I'll get up again. You're never going to keep me down. I'll get knocked down. Let me say it biblical. Rejoice not against me, oh my enemies, for when I fall, I shall arise. I've got mourning going on. I might be wearing the clothes of mourning because I'm going through hell, but my God is an ever-present help in my time of trouble. Woo, I'm feeling some preach. I was with my Pentecostal family all week. I've got the Holy Ghost all up in me. Glory, glory, glory. That's what my dad says. 
be sitting in the middle of church acting up and I hear glory, glory, glory. I'm in trouble. <laughs> You're blessed when you mourn. God, take me out of this. No. Something you need to learn in the middle of this. I want you to learn that you can trust me in this. Yes, it hurts, but tears bring refreshing. I don't want to cry. You need to cry because you need to be refreshed. I have no more tears than let that wailing come from somewhere deep inside. I don't even know what to say. Then you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So when you don't know what to pray, his spirit will pray through you. Mm. Let's go on to verse number five. Verse number five, blessed are the meek. You're, if you're meek, then you're God approved. Why? For the people who are meek will inherit the earth. Not today. In fact, if you'll allow me, not even the world that we live in. Oh, you're talking about something spiritual. I'm talking about something very physical, just not this earth. For heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. There is a new Jerusalem. There is a new heaven. There is a new earth. The meek will not inherit this jacked up ratchetville. The meek will inherit the new earth where King Jesus sits in a physical seat of government in the new Jerusalem on a physical throne and you will see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because he has already conquered his armies. Oh, by the way, that's a great plug for where we're going after the first of the year. So just, just get ready. You need to be meek. What does that mean? Stop thinking you are the epitome of everything. It's not about you. It's about him. When you make it about you, he lets it be about you. And then you get mad and like, why is everything happening? Because you made it about you. That was a you problem. The meek, it ain't about me. Remember that, that, that made up catechism that I taught you last week? You're God, I'm not. You're God, I'm not. In fact, just be God. I'm gonna be me, you be you, you do you, boo-boo. And just like you, you do that because I'm not good at doing your job. I try, I keep messing it up. So I'm going to stop trying to be God. I'm going to be meek. Nope, I can't fix this on my own. Oh, let me say this in a way that will really, me being a control freak is not changing the situation. So I'm going to let you be in charge. That's what meekness is. I'm going to take the low ground. I'm going to get out of the limelight. I'm going to stop trying to be in charge. And if you are meek, not only you God approved, you will inherit the earth that he is bringing in his reign. Let's go on to verse six. Y'all enjoying this? You learning something? Renzo, you learning something? You ready to preach tonight? You bringing a strong word tonight? It better be strong because I'm giving some strong word right now. Let's look at verse six. Blessed are those your God approved when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. For those people will be satisfied. This is not said, but it's said without being said. If you're thirsty for something else, you're not going to be satisfied. Thirsting for that is going to leave you unsatiated. Ooh, $13 word there. You drink that water, you're going to be thirsty again. But when you drink from the living water. So, so what is this righteousness that you speak of, Jesus? 
hunger and thirst for relationship with the Almighty. But we hunger for more stuff. We hunger for more financial security. We hunger for more followers on social media. We thirst for attention. We thirst for affirmation. We thirst for physical contact. We thirst, we thirst. Far too many Christians are thirsting for pornography. Far too many Christians are thirsting for political. Are we hungering and thirsting for relationship with God himself? Because here's the deal. None of those other things will satisfy because they cannot satisfy. They actually leave us wanting more. It's like when I I, I love mowing the grass and working out on the lawn. It's like one of my favorite things. I know that makes me weird, but I enjoy it. It's great. Every week I change the direction that I mow the grass and they're perfect lines. I am my father's son. And it's just like, that's what I do. I've got OCD. Even on my grass, I like cut diagonal. The next week it's straight. The next week it's this diagonal. Next week it's this way. Like I'm jacked up. I know. But I love getting out there and just, you, you, you get your sweat on and like, y'all can bend in all the shapes. That, that ain't how I get my sweat on. I get behind that automatic lawnmower and I walk. And I ain't, <laughs> you do you, I'm gonna do me, right? And I, I'm out there working, I get all sweaty and hot and I come in. I don't wanna drink a Coke in that moment. I like Coke. It's not healthy, but I like it. But you drink a Coke, it doesn't satisfy. You got to drink more of it. Because you're chasing a satiation that doesn't exist because the thing that you're consuming will never satisfy. It actually creates more of a longing for that thing than the longing for the thing you actually need. But when you get a nice glass of water and you're tired and you're exhausted and that living water that only comes from the relationship with God and you're like... Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. And every time I take a sip, I get more satisfaction. I get met more in my need. And I don't want to go back to the thing that leaves me wanting. I just want to keep reaching for more and more of Jesus. I listen to talk radio all the time. And so I hear all the old man commercials because that's what they, they play commercials for old people. And there's, I guess all the people listening have, have like inflammatory problems and their joints hurt because we're all over 50 because we're listening to talk radio. And, and they're, they're advertising this product. It's not medicine, but it was developed by doctors and you take it and it's going to change the way that you live. No more inflammatory problems. And then the, the talking head, the celebrity that's pitching this thing comes on and says, 75% of the people who order this order more. I don't want your product. Your product don't work. Because if it worked, I wouldn't need to get, keep getting more and more and more of it. I want something that's not only going to meet the need I have today. I want something that's going to prepare me for the next. And that's why I hunger and I thirst for an intimate relationship with the almighty God. Because the closer I get to him, the more of himself he reveals. And the more places that I can go in him. Are you being blessed by God because of your thirst for him? Or is there distance between you and God because you're thirsty for something else? Let's go to the next verse before they throw things at me. Blessed are the merciful. Your God approved when you're merciful for they will be shown mercy. Any sinners in the house today? Notice my hand went up first. I feel like Paul, I am chief among the sinners. It just simply means I'm the cat daddy. Y'all think y'all bad, I'm badder. 
Shimon, I am bad. Let me just tell you. I'm bad. I like things I shouldn't like. I do things I shouldn't do when I want to do good things. Something inside of me desires to do things I shouldn't do. Woe is me. Isn't there, I feel like I'm quoting Romans chapter 7 because I am. You're God approved when you're merciful for you'll be shown mercy. I need mercy in my life. Pastor, why don't you just deal with that? Because I need mercy in my life. That individual's like crossing lines, but if I start hammering down, I'm going to need to receive mercy because I, I pretty much know who I am, right? You're God approved when you're merciful. What would happen if instead of us, when the guy cuts us off, now I'm, I'm really all up in my business. I've been up in your business. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get in my business now. When the guy cuts you off, making that right-hand turn out of the left lane in the middle of rush hour traffic, and he just needs God because you're about to send him to meet his maker in that moment. What if instead of doing what I do so often and really stresses my wife out, instead of like, well, I'll show you and get up in front of him and then put my brakes on. What if, what if instead we would show mercy? What if instead of going off on social media about the thing that offends us in that moment, that day, in that hour, in that minute, instead of writing the never-ending blogosphere on our social media posts, we just simply didn't write anything and we just went and loved somebody who needed love? What if in our offenses we didn't build a castle and live there instead of said, like, they were probably hurting, that's why they said or did that? Like, like, what if, what if we showed mercy? What if? Because that's how we're going to receive mercy. And the attitude of a citizen of King Jesus is we've received unending mercy. We have no choice but to be merciful. Well, haters going to hate. Yeah, but merciful people going mercy. Right? It, like, didn't that offend you? Yes. What are you going to do about it? Probably have a cup of coffee and eat a hamburger. Let it go. Let it go. Y'all need to let that go. I mean, just like, boy, you got to spin. What a boy got to spin. I'm just saying. <laughs> You can take the boy out of Disney, but you'll never get Disney out the boy anyway. That's dumb. Michael, I'm sorry. Forgive me. <clears throat> I need mercy from you right now instead of all this ridicule you're throwing at me. <laughs> we need mercy in our lives, so as citizens of the Almighty, we need to be willing to give mercy. Yeah, but that just really, they knew better. Yeah, they probably did, but you don't know what happened in their story that caused them to do that. They're living in a reactionary reality just like you are. Like you're ticked off at them for reacting, but you're reacting. What if we just responded with, oh, oh, you're living in a falling world, a fallen world. So instead of pushing you down further, how about I come alongside? Hey, hey, I love you anyway. Like, I, I, Pastor Matt, can I use you and your wife as an example? They went on a much needed vacation. And, and on this trip, they were like, hey, they were going to a place that I had recommended that they go. 
And so they got a lot of recommendations from me and they, they know I like to eat. And they were like, hey, can you recommend some good food places? I'm like, yeah, here you go, here and here. And here's the deal. Pastor Alicia makes amazing chili. She is one of the best chili cooks I've ever eaten in my life. It's amazing. But they went up to Cincinnati and Ohio has nasty chili. In fact, they're world renowned for having the grossest chili known to mankind. Dogs won't even eat it. It's so bad. So Cincinnati chili, they like take chili and put it over spaghetti, cover it in cheddar cheese. Okay, that's not so bad, but they put cinnamon in it. Like, ew, like why, why do you hurt, who hurt you? Like, why would you do this to people? Like, people are good people and you're putting cinnamon in chili. Well, I knew they were going and, and a good friend of mine did that to me because he knows I like chili. He was like, man, you need to get you some Skyline chili. And I was like, here we go. Ugh. And I've been waiting. I've been waiting for somebody to go. I've been waiting. Anyway, I've, I've been waiting for somebody to go to, to Ohio so I could tell them, oh, you've got to get you some Skyline chili. And they went up there. And they went to Sky to the fast food. Like, they're not only they're getting Cincinnati chili, they're getting at a fast food joint, which is even worser. Like, down with all that. That's bad. And they walk in and they order it and they sit down because their pastor who loves food and loves them told them it was good and it was this long con I was playing on them. And they tasted it and it was nasty and they couldn't eat it. But they still love me. They were very upset at me, and I'm not eating any of her chili anytime soon because I'm pretty sure there's going to be some cinnamon in there, but they still showed mercy to me even though I hurt them. What would happen if we would stop fixating on being above everybody else and just say, hey, you hurt me, it's no big deal because I'm sure I've hurt you at some point. Let's walk this out together. How much of the mercy of God would we be receiving? This okay this morning? Let's look at the next verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Your God approves when your heart is pure. What does that mean? What, what does that mean? It means you've never had a bad thought. That is not what that means. You're human. Some of us in the room have had 87,000 bad thoughts in the last 15 seconds. Some of you are hearing this having bad thoughts right now. I speak from personal experience, but that's not the purity that he's talking about here. There's a purity that just simply says, there's nothing I can do about this. Anybody like facing a challenge that just makes no sense? The pure in heart says, I can't change this. So I'm literally going to yield this situation to the one who can. And I'm not going to live in it anymore. Does not mean that the situation changes. But I'm not allowing this situation to pull me further and further down. My heart is pure because my heart is reaching for the heart of Almighty God. I can't change it. So it's not getting air in my life. This will not be the only thing that I talk about for the next six months. This will not be the thing that you hear about every time you sit down to have coffee with me. In fact, I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. And whatsoever is pure, 
Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are of good report, that's what I'm going to think on. Well, you're, you're, you're just having, trying to have a positive attitude in a bad situation. No, 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 this isn't mysticism. This is biblical. I choose not, if my God who knows everything can choose not to remember my sins, I can choose to have a pure heart reaching for him and not living in the bad situation anymore. Ever been around that person that no matter what's going on, they're like turning it around to their situation? Well, let me tell you, like, that's not purity in our heart. Purity in our character says, I can't change it. He can. Could it be that we don't see God in our situation because we're too busy blocking the purity of trust with self-control, self-governance? self-dominance, self-affirmation. Let's rid ourselves of all that. Change our minds, then begin changing our actions and a purity from Almighty God will settle in and we will begin to see God in every one of those bad situations that every one of us face. That person who's abandoned you, that person who's hurt you, instead of seeing them as the evil people that they may be, you start to see the hand of God being evidenced and manifested in that situation. And where you thought you were all alone, he's like, no, I've been here the whole time. I was working. I was working all things for your good. Because you are the loved. You are the called according to my purpose. I've got you in the palm of my hand. Be pure in trusting that I know things that you don't know. This makes sense? Let's look at the next verse. Your God approved when you're a peacemaker, for you will be called the children of God. Notice that he didn't say peacekeeper. Every Christian in the world needs, needs to hear what I'm saying right now. Every Christian in the world needs to hear this statement. It is not our responsibility to be the policeman of the world, nor the policeman of the people on the other side of the room. Karen, go get another job. Like seriously, if you got a tattle, please stop sending me emails or sending me texts about what they put on social media. I don't care. There's a reason I don't follow them. I don't want to see it. And if it bothers you, you should probably unfollow them. Why does it matter? Oh my God, pastor. They're just not rep. They don't represent me anyway. Have you seen me? I'm jacked up. They may not recognize who they are. Well, they had a word on their, okay, they probably shouldn't have done that. But hey, you got a little something in your eye there. Maybe all you're focusing on is the little speck in their eye because you have a telephone pole hanging out the front of your face. <laughs> Judge much? We'll get into that next week, but... Like, like, seriously, Karens run things for everybody, except the people on TikTok that watch all the videos about the Karens losing their mind. That, that's fun for all of us, but I probably should not have said that. Now y'all know what I watch on TikTok. 
People losing their junk. I was, I was on the airplane yesterday like, please, I have my phone ready. Please, somebody, somebody get mad about a mask. Somebody, oh, come on, please, please. It, it didn't happen. <laughs> never happens to me. I'm never there when that happens. God. <laughs> but like, seriously, stop worrying so much about other people. You're not the policeman of the world. It's not your job to hold them accountable to, to know. Are you in relationship with them? Then you got nothing to say about it. I don't like their posts. Why are you, have, have y'all talked about, it? oh no, I think that's your job. No, I promise you that ain't my job. I am not touching that with a 10 foot pole. Maybe you should go be in relationship with them. And while you're doing life together, hold each other accountable to the character of Christ that you have already received because you are a citizen of the Almighty. Does that, does that make sense? Peacekeepers go out and police and they set up military bases and they do regime change and colonization and all the things that all the wokeisms don't like and the things that make everybody really uncomfortable. And That's what peacekeepers do. There's nothing I can do about your situation, but I'm going to stand here telling you how wrong your situation is. Bad. Bad. Pastor John, you went on vacation for two weeks. Bad. You forsook the assembling of yourselves together. Bad. Right? Pastor Matt, your pastor made you eat nasty chili. Bad. They wore something on their TikTok that offends my sensibilities. Bad. You kept looking bad. Right? Is this okay? Peacekeepers try to fix those things. We can't. It's not our job. Peacemakers are the emissaries of the Almighty. And just like the Almighty looked into the empty abyss of nothing that was chaotic because he was not there and he reached in and spoke into existence something that was so divinely ordered that it is still operating 6,000 plus years later. In the same way, when you're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, you are a peacemaker and you step into the chaos of the life that people are living and you being in the room, you don't have to say anything. You invite the presence of Almighty God in with you and His Spirit begins to bring order to the chaos. You don't have to preach a sermon. You just get to walk in and be a child of God. Here's the thing about chaos has to run from order. Darkness has to flee from light. Hurt has to flee from peace. If the world that you live in is dramatic all the time and everywhere you go there is drama, there is a common denominator that is happening everywhere that you go. It might be you. So you need to go back to the altar 
step into the peace that goes beyond all human understanding so that you can be someone who carries peace into the chaos. Does this make sense? Let's, let's look at the next verse. Hear, hear me on this. Blessed are those who persecute, who are persecuted for righteousness. So we've already learned what righteousness is in relationship with God. You're not persecuted because of who you are. You're persecuted because of who, who you are in relationship with, who with a capital W, not just like the rando that you have in your life. You're in relationship with Jesus, so the persecution comes because of that. For the kingdom of heaven, notice the tense, belongs to you. Jesus made a statement like, anyone who loses house, home, or loved ones because of me, I will reward more than they even lost in my kingdom. He's keeping record. You don't have to remind him. He knows everything already. Persecution is going to come. And by the way, people unfollowing you on social media is not persecution. Stop thinking it is. It's not. People voting different from you is not persecution. It's not. People liking different kinds of music than you is not persecution. People who are in relationship with you saying, hey, you seem like you're hurting. That's not persecution. Hurting people who don't know Jesus doing what hurting people in the world do in front of you is not persecution. Starbucks not putting Christmas on their cups is not persecution. We don't need to protest them. Why do we keep thinking that a godless world should be responsible for God? That pop singer, you know what they did. Yeah, they don't know Jesus. I'm a protest. I promise you they don't even know. It's like a dog barking at a freight, a freight train. My dog runs out in the backyard. I live right by the railroad tracks. The trains go through. And the really nice people in those engines like to blow the horn right behind my house because I shined a light in their eyes one time trying to get them to stop. And mistake, don't do that. Learn my lesson. <laughs> they go out there and they get right behind my yard. And my dog every now and then. That train keeps going. That dog barking is not doing anything for that train. You protesting that person, you canceling that person is not doing one thing. Does that, does that make sense? They're not persecuting you. Your lack of trust in Jesus is distancing you from your source and that emptiness that's left in there feels like persecution, but it's not. The modern day and the postmodern day church has no idea what persecution even looks like. We're going to, but we don't know yet. But when that day comes, everybody say when that day comes. It ain't here yet, but when it comes, we need to hang on to the truth that we are approved by God when that happens for the sake of our relationship with God because the kingdom of heaven is belonging to us in this moment.
This is the attitude of a child of God. This is the attitude of a citizen of heaven. All of these things. There's no way you're going to remember all that. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 to 11. You need to go read it. You need, that needs to like be a part of your life this week. But in the next couple minutes, I'm, I'm going to give you some stuff that happens as a result of the attitude. You need to read the rest of the chapter because I don't have time to unpack it. I've already gone way too long. But let me, let me give you something here real quick. He goes from the approval into the mission. The citizens of heaven have a mission. He, he says in verse 13 and 14, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. You have to understand this. Hey, believer, anybody in the house believers today? You have to understand this. The kingdom of God is advanced through you, not through him through him in you, but you are a vital aspect of that. You are, Jesus is the salt of the earth. No, he's not. You are. You are. Jesus is the light of the world. No, he's the light to the church. You are to be the light to the nations. The Abrahamic covenant applies to you because you've been grafted into the bloodline of Jesus through faith in him. Your salt and your light is your light making people thirsty for is your life making people thirsty for Jesus? And is what you shine showing them the pathway to him? Or do they think that you're just like everybody else that's around you? Does that make sense? But you can't even accomplish the mission until you get the attitude part right. Then he starts talking about lifestyle right around verse 17. And he starts doing this thing in chapter 5 that you got to see. And I can't move on without, without you getting this because this is kind of like a constant. He dips back into the Old Testament. And he starts quoting from the first five books of the Bible. Which today we know is the law and all the non-denominational people, oh, the law is bad. You know, I'm in grace. I'm not in the law. Like You don't even have a clue what you're talking about. The Jews called this Torah. The first five books of the Bible were Torah. That's what they called it. He reaches into Torah where all the aspects of God's holiness are literally lined out, not to reveal a pathway to get to God, but to show us just how much we will never get to God by doing things over and over and over and over. But he reaches back, and, and here's and all of you have heard this, well, grace gives me freedom from that, as if grace is less than, than the law. But let, let me show you something. He quotes from the law through the rest of chapter 5, and then as soon as he quotes from the ancient law, he says, like, like in verse 17, but I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, meaning like two-thirds of the Old Testament, but to fulfill them. What he establishes in this moment is that grace is a higher law. Torah deals with day-to-day -day behavior. Grace deals with attitude. If every time you reach for sin, I smack your hand, over time, you're going to I ain't reaching for that anymore. But on the inside, you're still sinning. I still want it. I know if I go to this website, five men in the church are going to see my internet history, so I'm not going to go, and they're going to think I'm chaste. But on the inside, I'm burning with lust. Is that person healed, or are they still trapped in the consequences of sin? 
The law deals with behavior. Stop looking at that. Stop. stop. Hey, you're looking. Stop. 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 Bad. Stop. Grace says, let me just get that out of you. Pastor, I struggle. No, you're living in ancient law that has been fulfilled by the giver of grace. He does not want you to struggle with it anymore. He wants you to have power and victory over it. If you struggle with it, it's because you're still living in the consequence. You need to yield it over to the higher law that is grace. The law says this, but I, the giver of grace, says this. Let, let, let me show you this. He talks about in this lifestyle. He says, I'm not abolishing the law. The law is vital because you need to see what's holy and what's not. But I'm going to give you a higher law that is grace. And it's going to affect you in four ways. Honor, marriage, oaths, and community. Real quick. Verse 22, he says, the law says this, like, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with a brother. The law said don't murder, but I say grace, that higher law. If you're angry with your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. I'm not going to ask us to raise us to raise our hands about the times we get angry but we're living in something that's already been fulfilled. We need to live in grace, but we can't live in grace until our attitude changes. Does this make sense? And he goes like into verse 24. Well, how do I fix this if I'm angry with my brother? Like I come to the house of God and I, I, I want to worship, but I just remember, well, oh, they know what I did. Okay, cool. First, Go be reconciled with your brother and then come and present your gift to him. What's he talking about? There's a higher law. There's a higher law here. When your attitude is aligned with the kingdom, you live at a higher place. Not that you're better than anybody else. You're just better than yourself because you don't live trapped in all this stuff. In other words, just honor people and treat them with grace. Go be reconciled with the person who hurt you. And then, like, then he goes into marriage because marriage is, the, is like the pattern. And, and even for single people, marriage, you need to study marriage. Even if you never plan on being married, you should still study marriage because that is the pattern of relationships, not just romantic relationships. In verse 28, he says, he's talking about adultery. And he says, I get... Moses said you can put someone away, you know, except for immorality and all that. But, but Grace says that whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What is he saying here? He's talking about a higher law that deals with the attitude of every person who claims to be a citizen. Again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this because there's not a person in this room who does not struggle with lust. I don't care how holy you act like you are. You struggle with it. There are things that attract you. It may not be sexual lust, but there is lust that grabs you from time to time. It's called pride. That's another word. It's an all-encompassing word. It's pride. But Moses says, if you behave adulterously if you engage with sex outside of marriage with someone who is not your spouse that's adultery and if you're married to someone and they do this 
then I'm going to give you a way to get out of the marriage. You can put them away and give you a right of divorce. And like, that's what the law said. But the giver of the law, who is also the fulfiller of the law, says, you're missing the point. You're trying to get out of a commitment and you're burying the thing that caused the problem in the first place deep inside of your character. You need a new attitude. Then he goes into oaths like, it drops this bomb on us. And right around verse 34, he says, you're, you're making oaths on all these things, but, but, I, but I'm saying to you, don't even take oaths at all. Then he goes through this list like, don't, don't say an oath on heaven or on earth or on your own head or on the city of God. Like, stop. You're saying these things to make yourself look more spiritual. You're saying these things to make yourself look put together. You're saying these things to manipulate people to get them to align with how you think or how you act are more likely to hide what you're doing behind closed doors. So you're saying the Christianese thing and you're not speaking plainly. So what's he talking about? The attitude of a citizen of heaven simply speaks plainly. Mean what you say and don't manipulate people with your words. You don't need to drop a spiritualism on them. If your marriage is falling apart and I meet with you, don't talk to me about the scripture you read. Because you're not applying it. It's time to start saying what we, what we mean. I'm hurting. By the way, this is why you need the next thing that he talks about. Community. But we'll get that... I'm hurting. You don't tell this to everybody. Not everybody's supposed to hear this. But you, you go to the people that you're close to, the people that you know have your back, and you look them in the eyes and you say, I am hurting right now. I know I have responsibility. I know I've got things that I'm supposed to be doing. I know that there are people who are watching me, but I'm hurting. Somebody know what I'm talking about. I am hurting. I don't feel like I've got the energy to do or say anything. I am just hurting because of my circumstance. Yes, I'm probably partially to blame for some of this, but I need someone to speak truth into me. Don't just tell me some Christian-y psychobabble. Don't, don't tell me something that your counselor told. Don't tell me what pop culture says. Bring me into the presence of God and let the word of God speak into my situation. And don't say dumb things. Well, I'm never doing that again. Yes, you will. You're going to fall down. You're going to stumble. You are going to just make the wrong decision and you beat yourself up because I'm a failure. You're not a failure. You're a human being. Stop making oaths that you cannot keep. Lean on the one who is absolute truth and say, I can't do this without you. Does this make sense? And he closes this out in, in verse 39. He says, people say, the, the, the law says that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If someone hurts you, you go hurt them back. People find out, like, 
that I don't believe in the death penalty. And they're like, <laughs> because the moment that you stop breathing, that is the moment that you're, you no longer have access to grace. Doesn't matter how many candles your family lights for you after you're gone, you gone. That's religion and mysticism and superstition. Don't, don't even buy into that stuff. Use your money for candles for your house, not, not to burn candles for people's soul because it ain't doing nothing but just burning. You're welcome. Don't burn no sage for them either. It smells like pot. You don't need to do that. <laughs> Tastes really good in your roast beef, but it's not cleansing anything. It's making the room stink, so stop doing that. Playing with something you don't know what you're playing with. You're inviting spirits into your life that you don't... Don't have time to get into that. But come talk to me after. I'll get into it. But eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And they get, how do you not believe in the death penalty? They, they did this. Don't you think they should die? Probably. But am I without sin? I've been angry with my brother. I just spent a week with him. A couple times. According to the giver of the law and the giver of grace, I've already committed murder. How am I going to kill someone who killed? Well, what about the, the rampant crime? Why don't we vote other officials in that will actually stop crime and stop worrying about trying? You, you get what I'm saying? Fix the problem the way the problem can be fixed or, or just start living the grace and mercy. Start being peacemakers instead of political wonks who can never accomplish anything. Stop trying to hold people accountable to a standard that you yourself refuse to be held to. The law says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Still that I'm cutting your hand off. But I say to you, don't resist an evildoer. Someone comes up and Will Smith's you upside the head. Never too soon. I guess in West Philadelphia, that's the way we roll, but. Someone comes up and goes. The giver of grace says. Someone comes up and says. Give me that sweater. The one behind you, I need it. Illustrated sermon. That would have been way more effective if she had just worked with me. Give me that. That's what's keeping me warm. The law said, go get it back. We like that. Until we take something that doesn't belong to us. Because we want it. The giver of the law and the giver of grace says, when they take your coat, offer them your, your shirt as well. Keep your clothes on. We ain't that kind of church, I'm just saying. Ew. Pastor, Jesus wants me to be taken advantage of. Actually, he doesn't. 
What he's saying is there's a way and an attitude that you can have that when someone comes into this life and does something so heinous to you that you can't even see straight, there is an attitude of the almighty heavenly father in you because you're a citizen of a different kingdom, a higher country, and this attitude begins to swell up like, you did that because you don't know who I belong to. God bless you. And those of us in the South know what that really means, but... Like you're hurting, you don't know any better. You're taking this, so let me give you what you didn't even ask for. Kind of reminds me of like when the apostles went to the gate, beautiful, and the lame man was begging for alms. Like, give me some money, give me some money, give me some money. And they said, I ain't got no money. And they could have been like the rest of us, just keep on walking. I got no money. Don't look at my wallet. No, they didn't give what was not going to meet the need. I don't have money, but what I do have, I will give. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. What would happen if when we are abused, when we are persecuted, instead of resisting this person, we would just simply turn around and give them who they actually need? Y'all, you got to understand this. Don't retaliate when you're wrong. Offer godly love. Stop looking for vengeance all it does is put you in a prison every time i get in the presence of god i get to this place and i stop it's because you're seeking vengeance god you're like david in the psalms take their babies and bash their babies heads against the rocks y'all didn't even know that was in the bible it's there David was a jacked up individual who was the man after God's own heart because even in his murderous thoughts, he would yield himself to the character of Almighty God and reach for something higher than his base nature. Y'all, the church of God has got to learn the attitude because life sucks, life hurts. You're hurting. Your situation's bad. You're suffering through all these things that you're suffering through. The people in your world are suffering through all these things that you're suffering through. And if we don't have the attitude, mind change. Go back to the last couple months. Repentance. Not confession in a little room to a dude on the other side of the curtain. Mind change. I will not think like that anymore. I will raise my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. I will change the way that I think because the character of my God, the character of my king resides in me. Does this make sense? This attitude is an attitude of grace rather than personal advancement. Nothing else in the kingdom is even attainable until we get our attitude straight. But when we begin to yield our attitude to his character, he simply opens the door because this is the kingdom. I've got you. Whatever you need, I've got. So here's what I want us to do. Nobody moving around. I want every eye closed, every head bowed. Worship team, I want y'all to get ready. I don't want y'all to come on stage yet, but I want you to get ready. 
Last week we learned that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is already sitting on the throne. We don't have to invite him onto the throne. He's already there. We just have to enter into his throne room. But I believe that Jesus Christ is calling this congregation to an attitude adjustment. To where we are more like Jesus and less like ourselves. Because there are lost people in this city who need a peacemaker to walk into their chaos. There's lost people in the nation of Kenya who need a missionary to go join with Pastor John and Pastor Mary and go over there and begin to establish a work. There, there are people in Albania right now, and I'm just talking about the doors that are open for us. Isaac, there are people in Ghana who need to hear what we're talking about right here, right now. But we'll be too scared to take that step of faith until our attitude changes. And as a result, we won't even reach across the hallway from our office or reach into the dorm room next to us or go to the apartment. Because if our attitude is self-focused, we can never reach and we can never advance his kingdom. And the fear that we have is that if I do this, if I take this step, I'm not going to have enough. But you have to understand, when you surrender your attitude to his character, he says, you already have enough. And he makes this promise. You will be filled. You will be filled. Because when you surrender... This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom of heaven. So just ask. I'm wanting to do it. But when we surrender our attitudes, we step into the kingdom. I wonder if there would be anybody who would say, okay, I know I've got things to do. But I'm going to take the next few minutes and I'm going to find a place at the altar or a place right here at my chair and I'm going to say, Holy Spirit, begin to wash me and change my attitude. Wash away my desire for personal advancement. And let me seek your throne in your face. And you will be filled. You will be filled. You will be filled. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom. This is the king. And ask, and ask, and he will. Is there anybody ready to surrender your attitude to receive his?